For this story, we'll have to journey back to the 1980s in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Rio is one of the most soulful cities in the world, and its residents, also known as cariocas, are famous for their warmth, friendliness, and laid-back spirits. The city is fun. It's all beaches, sambas, drums, and football. Football in Brazil is more than a sport. It's almost a kind of religion. It's a way out of poverty and a chance to meet new people, to rise up the ranks and to make a name for yourself. In Brazil, there are entire industries and traditions dedicated to football, making it a super important aspect of the country's culture. The Brazilian Championship is an annual football competition of Brazilian teams that's been going on since 1959. It has several categories or series. Serie A includes the 20 best teams in the country and it goes all the way down to Serie D with the semi-professional teams. I'm Sonali Burgis and you're listening to Grifter. It was in Rio de Janeiro that Carlos Henrique Raposo, also known as Kaiser, had a career spanning more than two decades, during which he was associated with four of Rio's biggest football clubs, Flamengo, Fluminense, Botafogo, and Vasco da Gama, as well as Bangu, América, and a number of overseas teams. Brazilian footballers often get tagged with a nickname or some sort of derivation of their real name that then becomes known as their official footballing nom de guerre across the world. Pele being a prime example, although Edson Arantes do Nascimento is a bit of a mouthful anyway. So, when Carlos Raposo was seeking to join a group of talented football superstars, he wanted one too. He insisted on being called Kaiser and claimed that the moniker was him paying homage to the German Ribeiro, Franz Beckenbauer. But actually, the name Kaiser is more likely in reference to the name of a beer sold in Brazil in the 80s and 90s. A young, enigmatic man with a conspiratorial grin, Kaiser embodied a roguish charm that mirrored that of Rio. It was effortless, friendly, and smooth. Armed with a mullet, a weapon of choice for many 20-something men in the 80s, and a prodigal gift of the gab, Kaiser lived a life of excitement, hysteria, lust, and fame. It was revealed in 2011 that Kaiser was football's finest conman. Renato Gaucho, one of the greatest Brazilian players of his generation and one of Kaiser's best friends, called Kaiser, quote, the greatest footballer never to have played football. The 1994 World Cup winner Ricardo Rocha stated that, quote, Pinocchio had nothing on Kaiser. Worse than a fibber, that guy was the biggest 171 in Brazilian football. 171 is slang in Brazil. It's in reference to Article Number 171 of the country's penal code, a law on fraud that deals with scammers and confidence tricksters, who are in turn referred to as 171s. Almost everyone that knew Kaiser believed he was an excellent 171. But, as Carlos Alberto, captain of Brazil's 1970 World Cup winners, put it, no one who knew Kaiser saw him as untrustworthy. And that was because, like a smooth and classic conman, 
Kaiser knew exactly what to say and do to win people's trust. He excelled at thinking on his feet and racking any situation in his favor. Carlos Henrique Raposo was born in Porto Alegre in the 1960s. He was adopted as a child and raised in Rio by his mother, a cook, and his father, an employee at an elevator company. Like a lot of kids, he would play barefoot in the streets with his friends. At 10, he was spotted by a Botafogo talent scout, and his parents signed him to an agent. He went to live in the Botafogo Youth Academy, and his family put huge amount of pressure on him to play, which caused problems because Carlos had no notion of professionalism. He just didn't want to play professionally. He wanted to have fun. But his mother saw salvation in him, a way for the family to escape a hard life of poverty. His parents died when he was 13, and after reluctantly sticking through the youth academy, 16-year-old Carlos was offered a trial with the Mexican team Puebla as a centre-forward. But Kaiser didn't like being in Mexico, and as soon as he'd arrived there, he wanted to go back home. He hated the food, and he hated playing professional football. He did, however, feature in a few friendlies and might have even scored a free kick. But in the end, he failed to impress coaches and was released having never played a match. While Kaiser hated playing professional football, he enjoyed the perks associated with the life of a footballer. He would scour Rio's nightclubs, looking to befriend famous players. He eventually became friends with some very influential star footballers, including the World Cup-winning striker Bebeto, World Cup captain Carlos Alberto Torres, and Renato Gaucho. Using his charm and wit, he'd persuade them to recommend him to the top football clubs. In this way, he managed to get signed with the club Botafogo and then Flamengo. But once his contract was signed, he set about actively trying to avoid kicking a ball at all costs. In essence, he had a knack for picking up injuries soon after signing with the clubs. Armed with a short-term contract to ensure that he always had an easy escape, he would claim to be unfit for matches, train for a few weeks, and then feign injury before he had a chance to make his debut. He would enthusiastically call for the ball, prime a shot, and then collapse in pain, rolling on the ground and clutching his thigh. In the 1980s, sports medicine still hadn't progressed sufficiently enough to contradict a player sorrowfully limping off the pitch, shaking his head apologetically at the coach. The same muscle injury pursued him for the rest of his career and became his general modus operandum. He would land at a new club and fake an injury early on, like in his first training session. It would never be anything too serious, of course. Nothing like a bone fracture, but a simple pulled hamstring or muscle catch was always a safe bet. The ruse would normally keep him off the field and in the background for a couple of weeks or so. And in that time, he'd go off building up a strong network of friends, including journalists who were more than happy to exchange a bit of inside information for a false but utterly glowing report of the footballing achievements of Carlos Kaiser. He was always funny, charming, enigmatic, and super quick. In conversation, 
he had the ability to capture you and rope you in with his words. Kaiser's story is the stuff of Hollywood movies. He was a man born in the abject poverty of Rio's favelas, who charmed and conned his way through two decades of a ludicrous glitterati football career. The problem with Kaiser's football career was that, when you weigh it all up, there simply wasn't one. In a career that spanned over 20 years, he was the player that never played. So, how did one man manage to successfully pull off a ridiculous rolling scam at the top level of Brazilian sport for so long? In this episode, we'll find out. Kaiser tricked his way into professional football using sheer, barefaced cheek. Back in the 80s, when football players weren't constantly in the news, it was easy to fool casual football fans, be it nightclub bouncers or beautiful women, with little more than a mullet, sunglasses, and swagger. Kaiser studied the mannerisms of any footballer he met, and like a boffin, he wove together the ultimate fake footballer. Specifically, Kaiser modeled himself on his friend, Renato Gaucho, a top player for Grameal, who basically single-handedly won the Copa Libertadores for them. With sunglasses that never came off and an extravagant mullet that he would flap behind his ears, a young Kaiser did bear a resemblance to Renato. Renato Gaucho symbolized the last golden age of Brazilian domestic football, when the greats spent the majority of their careers at home. He was like a Brazilian Beckham of the 80s, very good-looking and a massive superstar. Kaiser often impersonated Renato to gain access into the hottest clubs and bars in Rio. In this way, he could party for free and eat for free. He was also a hit with the ladies and became a sort of mini-celebrity. However, one night, Renato arrived in at the club and gave his name at the door, only to be informed that Renato was, in fact, already inside. Kaiser was pretending to be Renato that night, and Renato had finally found out. Rather than being annoyed, Renato was amused by Kaiser borrowing his identity. He even said, quote, he was my mini-me. The two became fast friends, and through Renato, Kaiser was able to secure access to huge names in Brazilian football. They were like brothers, and they partied and holidayed together regularly. Kaiser created a sort of barter system, whereby he'd sought everyone out with whatever they needed, and that could be literally anything. He'd run errands for these footballers and even arrange for women to visit team hotels on away trips. In return, he'd ask for a trial at a professional club or for them to vouch that he was a pro footballer. And these players, the finest in Brazil, bought into it. From then on, whenever one of Kaiser's famous amigos signed a new contract at a club, they would recommend a great player they knew, Kaiser, who then gained access to these same clubs. Even the legendary player Bebeto took to Kaiser and introduced him to Flamengo's directors. While Kaiser loved the celebrity football lifestyle, he didn't love the responsibilities that came with it. He just wanted to party and have fun. 
If Kaiser wasn't a particularly great footballer, he had the power to make people believe he was. In theory, Kaiser was center forward. In practice, he was a proper false nine. He'd always find a way to be as far away from the action as possible. In fact, he'd actively do just about anything to avoid playing. For instance, he supposedly convinced youth team members to shove him about in training sessions so he could pretend to be injured. In another instance, he allegedly paid spectators in the stands to cheer him on and sing his name whenever the club owners were around. He even used the my grandma passed away excuse to get out of training. Alexandre Torres, son of World Cup winner Carlos Torres, was at both Vasco and Fluminense with Kaiser. According to him, in the 80s, it was normal for guys on a football team to be sidelined for long periods. Sometimes, the players would bring their friends to watch them play, and these same friends would join them for socials, like barbecues, and make jokes with them, and generally just hang out with the whole team. And if the friend was fit and athletic and looked like he could be a player, his presence would not only be tolerated, but also encouraged. So even if that player never worked a ball around a football field, he was still at the training sessions and even at the stadiums on game days. With the help of a friend, Fabio Barros, Kaiser was able to lift the dream of so many young Brazilian players and travel to Europe to play for the French team Gazelec on the island of Corsica. Fabio, like so many before him, liked Kaiser and wanted to help him because he believed Kaiser deserved an opportunity. Kaiser arrived in Europe like a rock star in a blaze of glory. At the unveiling ceremony, he hooted all the balls into the crowd to avoid having to take a shot at the goal, all while kissing the club's badge in order to please the fans. Instead, he presented the club president's wife with a bunch of flowers. It's unclear how long he stayed in France. Some reports say he stayed only a few months, while others claim he stayed for over eight years. According to Kaiser, or at least the journalists that he'd befriended to help him make his lies credible, he was a legend in Gazelec after spending eight years with the club. Nevertheless, when he returned to his homeland in Brazil, the public believed every word. In this pre-internet age, the veracity of his story was impossible to question. While football was on television, no one knew what was happening abroad in other countries. And when Kaiser showed up, he claimed he'd just returned from France, and no one could tell if he was bluffing or not. One could only rely on his word and a patchy photograph from a newspaper. It's a story that couldn't exist now, with how easy it is for clubs to verify players' identities in past stints. But things were really different in the 80s. There have been arguments both for and against Kaiser's ability to actually play the sport. While most people believe that he just couldn't play football and probably sucked at it, some argue that he simply didn't want to play. Kaiser himself has repeatedly stated that he never had any notion of professionalism and just wanted to have fun. Across Mexico, Brazil, and even for a time in France, he never crossed the white line to make it onto the pitch. 
Carlos Kaiser was every inch the playboy footballer. He decided at an early stage that a footballer's lifestyle off the pitch was perfect for him. He enjoyed parties and women, nightlife and women, and the celebrity and the women. He once claimed that, quote, if sex were football, I would be Pele. It isn't, and he's not. Kaiser's most famous and most dangerous scam occurred at Bangu, a small club in the west zone of Rio, a place that's famous for hosting the first football match ever played in Brazil. In 1985, Bangu came within a penalty shootout of winning the Campeonato Carioca, an achievement that would have registered very highly in everyone's eyes. At that time, in the 80s and 90s, the biggest football clubs in Rio were run by bicayeros, mafia figures and gangsters who operated illegal gambling lotteries that were hugely popular in Brazil. The clubs needed their money and power. For Kaiser, having grown up in the dangerous favelas, terrifying or risky endeavors like lying to a dangerous gangster didn't seem to sway him in the slightest. He had an instinctive understanding of what he could get away with because he was so used to living life on the edge and pushing his luck. And push his luck he did. Pangu was owned by Casta de Andrade, Brazil's premier bicaero, who was routinely described as the most dangerous man in Brazil. He wasn't someone you wanted to piss off, let alone betray. He once chased a referee around the pitch, a gun flapping in his back pocket, in an attempt to persuade the ref that his, the Andrade's, interpretation of the laws of the game were absolute. Castro signed Kaiser for his team, Bangu, mainly because he liked his company. And this prompted a newspaper headline that stated, quote, Bangu has its king. That headline became famous, and not only because Kaiser showed it to everybody at any opportunity he could find. Castor took a shining to Kaiser and loved his personality, charisma, and chutzpah, and also his apparently endless access to beautiful women. At some point, he decided he wanted to see his star signing's fabulous personality on the pitch. The film, Kaiser, the greatest footballer never to play football, revealed in 2018 that one weekend, while Kaiser was partying at the Caligula nightclub, he was informed that Castor wanted him to play in the next game. Kaiser panicked, terrified of being found out, and attempted to sweet-talk his way out of playing. The coach eventually assured him that he would remain a non-playing substitute. Bangu were off to a horrible start to the match and were down by two goals. They needed a prolific goal scorer to turn the game around. Castor immediately sent for his star player Kaiser, who faced with the possibility of being thrown into a huge match watched by tens of thousands of people, had to think fast. Kaiser had two choices. He could play as a substitute, in which case he was dead meat if he was called on, or he could refuse to play, in which case he was also dead meat. So he improvised a third option. Due to Bangu's poor performance, the crowds were raging at the players. Kaiser was out on the field, on the sidelines, warming up and studying the angry crowds. At some point, he heard an opposition fan curse at him 
and he used it as an excuse to begin a loud and very visible argument with the opposition supporters. He jumped over the fence to fight with them so he could get sent off and not play. And just like that, the referee stopped the game, showed the very fortunate substitute a red card, and sent him away. He still hadn't crossed that white line. In the dressing room after the match, Casta was pacing in fury. Kaiser respectfully told the president that he saw Casta as the father he'd lost at 13. He explained that the opposition fans had been bad-mouthing Casta and were calling him a thief. Kaiser had only vaulted that fence, he said innocently, to defend his boss's honor. Castor fell for the story and not only gave Kaiser a raise, but also extended his contract, which was set to expire that week. That day, like every other, Kaiser lived on instinct and in the moment. He didn't live for tomorrow. Hell, he didn't even live for later in the day. It was at Fluminense that Kaiser's ineptitude on the pitch became apparent to his teammates. A fitness coach who met Kaiser in 1989 at the club Fluminense said Kaiser was a joke. He arrived overweight and clearly couldn't train or play as well as the other players. No one understood how he wound up at Fluminense. But he managed to successfully remain in the club because he understood how to ingratiate himself to people. Once, a Fluminense teammate knocked someone out in a nightclub and Kaiser took the rap for it. He stuck his neck out for his teammates and friends, and this was why they adored him and never doubted him. While at the club Botafogo, Kaiser pretended to fend off calls from European clubs that were trying to lure him away. He used a clunky, brick-shaped mobile phone while huddled in a corner of the dressing room to make the calls appear genuine. His conversations, a mixture of Portuguese and English, were just loud enough for his teammates and manager to hear him talking of potentially transferring to a European team. Kaiser's jig very nearly unraveled when a trainer hid behind him and learned that the phone was actually a toy. There's a tradition in Rio of the malandro, a street-smart hustler who plays the odds and gets the beautiful girls a charming Casanova who celebrated in the music of a thousand sambas. According to Kaiser's associates, he was very malandro. Famous footballers liked him, gangsters befriended him, and women adored him. The club Vasco hired Kaiser to help an international star that was struggling with alcohol abuse. Essentially, Kaiser, having displayed his incredible ability of persuasion, was hired as a babysitter to keep the players sober and match-ready. When Kaiser pitched up at Vasco, Carlos Alberto Prestes, or Tato, as he was popularly known, recalled the moment Kaiser was outed as a fraud on the team. In Brazil, training sessions would often be preceded by a game of piggy in the middle. Seven or eight players form a circle with one guy in the middle and pass the ball around him. The idea was that the piggy in the middle had to steal the ball to get out of the circle. In one training session, Kaiser was selected to be the piggy. The circle included Tato and other successful players like Bebeto. Kaiser couldn't get out of the middle no matter how hard he tried. 
It was incredibly difficult for him, and it was during that session that everyone realized he wasn't a football player. Kaiser just didn't have it in him to play the sport. Kaiser lived life to the brim. He was a lovable rogue who people enjoyed having around him. He had a fun, happy, and light-hearted air about him that was infectious. Many of his teammates claimed that they knew all along, but he gave them no reason to expose him as a fraud. His life had been a never-ending hustle built on a series of small, instinctive scams that made one giant scam. Kaiser knew the system and worked it for his benefit, but it wasn't his system. It was shaped by the clubs. They say in a casino, the house always wins when the cards are dealt. Carlos Kaiser, though, found a way of winning without actually playing the game. Thank you for listening to Grifter. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. Links to the sources I used to research this episode are included in the description. See you at our next episode.